As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hey, it's Zuko and Kayla from The Wake Up Call. Enjoy your podcast. And when you're done, don't forget about us. We have a radio show. We try to bring a smile to your face every morning. We also talk to some of the hottest country stars of today, and we like to share some good news with That's What I Like. Because Lord knows that's hard to find. When you're done podcasting your podcast, listen to us at 92.3 WCOL. Set your preset on your radio right now, and don't forget you can listen to us online on the iHeartRadio app. Hey, folks, today's Thursday, February 1st, 2024. Coming up on Roller Martin Unfiltered Streaming live on the Black Star Network. I'm live here in Dallas uh, for the installation uh, ceremony for Reverend Dr. Frederick Douglass Haynes, the new president and CEO of the Rainbow Push Coalition. Uh, so we'll be having that. That begins in about uh, an hour and a half. So we'll carry that live uh, on the network. Uh, but uh, the big story for us today, folks, the loss of a legend, Radio Hall of Famer Joe Madison, uh, has passed away. Uh, he passed away peacefully last night. Uh, he's been battling a reoccurrence of prostate cancer. We will talk about uh, how critical the Black Eagle was to African Americans. Longtime radio show host on WOL uh, out of Washington, D.C., later with Sirius XM Radio. And so uh, we will dedicate this entire show to the Black Eagle right here. It's time to bring the funk on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Let's go. He's Whatever it is, he's got the scoop of fact to find. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics. With entertainment just for kicks, he's rolling. We begin today's show on a very sad note. Uh, moments ago, uh, the family of Joe Madison posted a statement on his website announcing that the Black Eagle, uh, longtime radio talk show host, uh, radio Hall of Famer, uh, he is now one of our ancestors. Uh, Joe Madison, of course, uh, a frequent uh, uh, person on not only my show, uh, Roller Martin Unfiltered, but also on TV One's News One Now. Um, he, a huge, huge voice, uh, longtime NAACP board member. Uh, he has uh, known folks all across the country, all across the world. Uh, he was very much involved in fighting modern-day slavery and the Sudan. 
he announced a couple of months ago that he was not coming back on the air, takes some time away because he had a reoccurrence of prostate cancer. He had previously battled prostate cancer uh, and it came back. Uh, on November 14th, when I had my birthday, uh, Joe let us know that he was definitely going to be there, but because uh, of his illness, he was unable uh, to come. Uh, and the statement came from his family that he passed away peacefully last night. Uh, so many folks obviously uh, know about the Black Eagle. Uh, we heard him on Sirius XM radio every single morning. Those of you in, in Washington, D.C., listen to him on WOL AM radio as, uh, AM as well. He was an absolute legend uh, in this business. Uh, and again, uh, we are saddened to report uh, the passing of uh, Joe Madison. Remember, it was several months ago, Joe was on the show talking about uh, his book. Uh, he is someone who uh, we often, uh, I mean, look, we, we went so many places. He and I were always together doing something, emceeing different events together. Uh, and so uh, he, I mean, this is certainly uh, just, just so just shocking news uh, for uh, so many of us who knew him well. Uh, my pal today is Dr. Greg Carr, Department of Afro-American Studies at Howard University, uh, Reese Colbert. She is the host of the Reese Colbert Show on Sirius XM Radio and also Law Victoria Burke, Black Press USA out of Arlington. Um, I want to start, I'm going to start with you, Greg. Um, there are very few people uh, who earn the uh, title of being uh, an institution, uh, of being a legend. And when you talk about uh, talk show host. We talk about black talk show hosts. Uh, Joe Madison absolutely was one of the best. Hey, Greg, I think you're muted. Yes, sir. Sorry about that. Thank you, Roland. You, um, condolences to his family, to you, uh, to everyone in the, the truth-telling media. Joe Madison is a generational link. And so his ascension to ancestorhood really, really speaks to, you know, the strength of that chain. I mean, you know, and I know over the arc of today and probably tomorrow, there'll be a lot, you know, you'll cover a lot of this and have a lot of people talking about him. So I'll keep this brief. I mean, you know, Dayton born, came through Detroit, even Philly. You know, WWDB in Philadelphia before taking in some ways the metaphorical baton from Petey Green and others in the 60s and 70s when he joined WOL and then went, you know, galactic in, in Sirius XM. Which, you know, Joe Madison, as as his, as his he said, and, he, you know, we talk about now his book, like you said, the whole interview you had with him and he's showing it there. Joe Madison walked the talk. I mean, here's a guy who broke the record for having the longest uninterrupted stretch hosting uh, on the air and, and used that basically two-day period to raise a quarter million dollars for the African-American Museum, the Smithsonian. You know, he, he enters war-torn Sudan, goes to Haiti after the earthquake in 2010. I mean, the accolades going on and on, and we know we'll talk about all of those things. But ultimately, you know, when Joe Madison was on the air, Beating up people, call it. Don't call unprepared Joe Madison show. And of course, following anytime people complaining or say we need us, our people need Joe Madison's like, oh, what you gonna do about it? What are you going to do about it? The Black Eagle um, is a, a loss that can't be replaced. But ultimately, that's why you're here. That's why those who have him as comrades and a, and a model now are here because this thing has to continue. And there's no finer model in how to do it than Joe Madison. 
Reese, uh, he was one of your colleagues at Sirius XM Radio, and look, um, everyone there, he was a beloved figure uh, at Sirius XM, uh, and especially among African Americans with shows there. Absolutely. Uh, you put it right, an institution, a trailblazer who opened up the door for so many of us at Urban View. I mean, I feel like a, a, a per, small person compared to Joe Madison, a giant, a colleague that, that, that honors me by even calling us colleagues. Um, I remember my first time in the studio for my own show. It was across the hall from the Black Eagle, which is its own fortress at uh, Sirius XM Urban, or Sirius XM Studios in DC. You got to be badged in, and it just, it, 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 it just, it's bigger than life. And um, I just think that his legacy is so enduring, so important. And it's not, it's, I don't even want to say legacy as though it's the past, it's still living and breathing through the institution that he has helped pave the way for. And so this is devastating news. Urban View really does feel like a family. All of the hosts, we love each other, we support each other, we uplift each other. Um, and and everything that I do, everything that, you know, my my number one colleague at uh, Urban View, Clay Kane, does, you know, people always, always bring up and uplift Joe Madison to us. And so my deepest condolences go to Joe Madison, all of his supporters, the Urban View family, you as well, Roland, because this is a huge, devastating loss. Uh, Lauren, um, when you talk about many of the major events in the black community, um, Joe Madison was always there. Uh, whether it was uh, emceeing various events, whether it was covering, broadcasting live, uh, I mean, he was one of the people uh, that black America looked to, uh, to speak to the issues uh, and to be there to cover the major events that impacted black America. Yeah, it's a really sad uh, thing to think about, uh, the timing of all this. Obviously, the news business is going through a transition right now that I think is um, incredibly bad. And Joe Madison represented old-school uh, journalism in the public interest, and particularly for the black community, uh, and very focused journalist uh, who was asking the tough questions that need to be asked. In an era of um, kikiing and not really being focused on what's serious, uh, at a time that fascism is on the rise in the United States, uh, I think his loss is particularly um, ill-timed. It would have been ill-timed at any time. But right now, we need more people who are like him, you know, people who are serious about what they're doing and who are asking the serious questions. So this is like a really huge shock. I actually met him on your show, Roland. Um, I'm trying to remember the last time that I saw him. I almost want to say CBC week, but I can't quite remember. So it's a big shock. It's a huge shock. And it's, a, it's really uh, um, something, as Greg said, he's somebody who can't be, be replaced. To that particular point, um, um, it is um, it is difficult uh, because um, we are in many ways you know um, partners in crime um, Joe supported this show 
Man. Every time he would, um, every time he would give to the show. We would joke, and he would. He would pull out his hundred dollars <laughs> and give it to me. As I think about it. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. It's the Breakfast Club, the world's most dangerous morning show. Hey! Angela Yee is kind of like the big sister that always pokes you in the forehead. That's not how it goes? That's not how anything goes. Yimby's really like a robot. One of the best DJs ever. Believe that. Charlamagne is the wild card. And I'm about to give somebody the credit they deserve for being stupid. I know, that's right. (laughs) What is wrong with you? (laughs) Listen to The Breakfast Club weekday mornings from 6 to 10 on 106.7 The Beat. Columbus is real hip-hop and R&B. Um, the last time I saw him was at the Dion Warwick. Uh, the name of the auditorium of the Dion Warwick at Bowie State. Uh, I can't remember, it was last year. And, uh, Joe was going to take an Uber home. And I told him, I said, Joe, I'll drop you off. And we were, uh, we were in the, uh, in my navigator and we were talking and we were laughing and talking about black issues and black-owned media, and um, him and his wife, uh, Sherry, had moved um, in the wharf area, and Joe was like, they just dropped me off here, I said, Joe, I dropped you off in front of the house, and I did, and when he got out the car, he said, he said wait a minute, he said, uh, I don't think I've made my contribution this year. And he uh, with his pocket, pulled his $100 bill out. And I took a picture of it. I know I'm about in a second. But the thing is that
how important that is who would encourage next generation and who would willingly come on their platform and share his platform and that's been a lot. Yeah, that, that really gives the that's really the meat of it, Roland. I mean, Watching the two of you all interact, I remember this was maybe about 13, 14 years ago. It might have been the first time I met Joe Madison. It was at uh, Sidney Rabot, uh his annual party, President Howard, then President Howard at his house. And Bernie Sanders was engaged in that long filibuster. It was December, I guess, 2010, 2011, I forget. But anyway... And I, you know, I left the filibuster and come to the party. I'm like, man, is anybody watching this filibuster? Joe Madison, I believe you. Nobody else was talking about it. And I remember being struck by the fact that this is somebody analyzing what's going on in real time. And I never encountered him. It's like being with you. You never encounter him when it's, when it's not about the business and the humility is at the center of it. And not only the willingness, but the eagerness to support everybody, him and Dick Gregory. So close, of course, you know, you would see them together. And then, of course, when, when um, Baba Dick passed and, and you know, here, here, here's Joe Madison in the middle of those rituals and everything. But thinking about the fact that he was so humble and moved so circumspectly that you could leave a conversation with Joe Madison thinking, damn, that's Joe Madison, but it didn't hit you this Joe Madison. He's so matter-of-fact about it. I mean, here's a guy who went on a hunger strike while he was fighting prostate cancer the first time, so I'm willing to die. We gotta get this voting rights legislation passed. And it's like, so you're willing to put it all on the line, and you could leave a conversation and say, this, is, this was the first person from the United States, radio journalist, to broadcast from Cuba in over two generations, 50 years. But it wasn't about the accolades. And then finally, and Reese, listening to you, thinking about Sirius, and, you know, I, I talked a minute ago with Karen Hunter, of course, over there. You know, thinking about that generation, that next generation, the Roland Martins, the Karen Hunters, and so many, you know, not only did Joe Madison support all of y'all, he was like, we have to work together. And he didn't just say it out of his mouth. When all these people who claim that they're for black people, and I'm not going to name any names, Byron Allen, uh, and others who, uh, you know, what, Joe Madison put it where the goats could get it and put his money where his mouth was and put his life where his rhetoric was. You can't fake working together. It can be very difficult at times. But the Black Eagle wasn't flying above everybody else. His thing was, I'm just like you. And when you hear my voice, you hear your voice. And that's why he urged us to greatness. And now in the wake of his passing, I think we have to continue to do that. We can't we can't afford, as as you said, Lauren, we can't afford not to model his effort, even as he made a transition on the first day of Black History Month. The man went to the other side in style. <laughs> so, I mean, he's given us instruction on the way out. We got to work together now. Hmm. Indeed. Going to go to a break. Uh, we'll be back uh, for folks who just joined us. Uh, the Black Eagle, Radio Hall of Famer, longtime radio talk show host, 
on WOL out of Washington, D.C. on Sirius XM Radio. Joe Madison uh, passed away last night at the valiant battle of the second time with prostate cancer. Uh, we'll be right back. A roller Martin unfiltered on the, Black, on, the, on the Black Star Network live from Dallas. Back in a moment. When you talk about blackness and what happens in black culture, we're about covering these things that matter to us, uh, speaking to our issues and concerns. This is a genuine people-powered movement. There's a lot of stuff that we're not getting. You get it, and you spread the word. We wish to plead our own cause too long have others spoken for us. We cannot tell our own story if we can't pay for it. This is about uh, covering us. Invest in black-owned media. Your dollars matter. We don't have to keep asking them to cover our stuff. So please support us in what we do, folks. We want to hit 2,000 people, $50 this month, raise $100,000. We're behind 100000 so we want to hit that. Y'all money makes this possible. Check some money orders. Go to P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037- Zero one nine six. The cash app is dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal is R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zell is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. Next on the Black Table with me, Greg Carr. We look at the history of emancipation around the world, including right here in the United States, the so-called end of slavery. Trust me, it's a history lesson that bears no resemblance to what you learned in school. Professor Chris Manjapra, author, scholar, amazing teacher, joins us to talk about his latest book, Black Ghost of Empire, The Death of Slavery and the Failure of Emancipation. He explains why the end of slavery was no end at all, but instead a collection of laws and policies designed to preserve the status quo of racial oppression. The real problem is that the problems that slavery in invented have continued over time. And what reparations are really about is saying, how do we really transform society, right? And, and, and stop racial violence, which is so endemic. What we need to do about it on the next installment of The Black Table, right here on the Black Star Network. Hey, what's up? It's Sammy Roman. Hey, it's John Murray, the executive producer of the new Sherry Shepard Talk Show. Hey, it's me, Sherry Shepard, and you know what you're watching, Roland Martin Unfiltered. Hey, folks, welcome back to Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Uh, this is the statement that was released by the family of Joe Madison on his website. Uh, it is with a heavy heart that we announce the passing of our beloved husband and father, Joe Madison. He passed away peacefully at home, surrounded by family. Joe dedicated his life to fighting for all those who are undervalued, underestimated, and marginalized. On air, he often posed the question, what are you going to do about it? Although he is no longer with us, we hope you will join us in answering that call by continuing to be proactive in the fight against injustice. The outpouring of prayers and support over the last few months lifted Joe's spirits and strengthened us as a family. We continue to ask for privacy as we gather together to support each other through this difficult time. That was from uh, the family of Joe Madison. When he made the announcement, Reese. Uh, that um, he wasn't coming back. Uh, I was uh, uh, at an event in the White House, and then um, when I left there, then got a call. Um, and so uh, I reached out 
to, didn't talk to Joe, the family, sent him a text uh, and let them know that um, uh, Vice President Kamala Harris um, was reaching out. And uh, a few weeks ago, uh, she did call Joe, uh, talk to him. Uh, and I'm not um, familiar with the conversation, but I do know uh, by arranging that that they actually had that conversation. Uh, and alerted her staff um, of the news. And so I'm quite sure we'll be seeing a statement from her uh, shortly. Had such a great affection for the Black Eagle, did his show multiple times. I believe as vice president as well, um, she did his show in addition to when she was a senator and before that. And so it doesn't surprise me at all that she would reach out. And I know from the times that she's reached out to me at various um, milestones or, or occasions, that she's a person who's incredibly compassionate, incredibly empathetic, and a very soothing um, and affirming voice. And so I'm glad that she made that effort and honored him. I'm sure he was honored as well. And I, I look forward to seeing what she has to say um, to honor Joe Madison publicly. Um, when we talk about um, being uh, one and supporting each other, uh, Lauren, uh, when I was calling out then Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi for her failure uh, to do interviews with black-owned media, uh, I called Joe, told him uh, that I was what I was doing, calling her out on the show, posting on social media, where's Nancy? Uh, and he told me, he said, man, I've been asking for years and they won't book her on the show. Uh, and then he said that um, he said uh, he said I would see her and I would say when you come on the show and he, but her people would never actually get it done. He said so I'm standing with you on this. And so the next morning, Joe goes on the air, goes on the air, and he tells them what I was doing, calling out Nancy Pelosi. Literally, his phone rings, and it's Pelosi's staff. And she was on his show in 48 hours. Mm. Uh, and he and so and he called me and he said, uh, he said, uh, he said, man, he said they would clearly listen. And they man, they immediately booked her on the show. He said, so appreciate you calling her out. And I never got the interview with her. And, you know, she did one with Joe, did one with April Ryan. And even April called and thanked me and saying, hey, I've been trying for two years. Uh, you made it happen. And here's the deal. My deal was like, cool. Uh, I didn't get it, but if they got it, I was cool with it. But again, that was Joe saying, I'm going to ride with you. I'm going to call him out, too, on the air. Yeah, you know, it really just goes to show you. His show was the last of the—I'm trying to think of somebody who's comparable. I mean, I guess if we get into numbers. But to me, it was—this is a, a moment where you realize, of course, that numbers— don't match, you know, the level of seriousness that he was seen. You know, he was seen as somebody that uh, could move opinions and was a influencer in a much more serious way than a lot of the influencers that we see now. And uh, to what he used to always say about what are you going to do about it, um, you know, you're making that statement. Joe would make that statement all the time. In an era where people, I think, have fooled themselves into believing that talking um, or just being on some platform that may have some numbers means something. And, you know, Joe was, <laughs> Greg really stole my thunder in his last comments, because Joe is a tell-it-like-it-is type of guy, a blunt, no BS type of guy. 
And he, uh, my favorite thing about him is that he came along 40 years ago before the real influence of corporate, uh, before corporate influence really started to impact the media. And he kept with that his entire career. You can see corporate influences impact on the media all over the place. The subjects that don't get discussed, things that get ignored. Uh, and obviously for black radio that, that has been disappearing over the years, he became a more important platform with that. So that story really does not surprise me because I'm sure that uh, Pelosi's office recognized, um, you know, exactly, pardon the pun, how serious it is to be on his show. Um, and uh, it's hard to it's hard to imagine who fills that spot. Uh, I, I would guess that Karen Hunter probably comes the closest. But uh, it, it's just something that we're missing in a lot of the platforms that we see out there is a really sort of serious bringer of issues and who's serious like all the time and is not trying to blend entertainment or infotainment with yep. hard issues. And that, that's that's the thing about Joe. Mark Thompson joins us now on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Mark had uh, texted me earlier uh, and then about 15 minutes later um, with the confirmation about the passing of Joe. Uh, and Mark, I, I alluded to this, uh, we, we would all often be in the same places at the same time. So if I wasn't emceeing something with Joe, you likely were. Uh, and so uh, we were all running in the same circles. Words that others have shared. Good to see uh, Greg and and Reese and Lauren. Not under these circumstances, of course. Um, you know, Joe and I were co-workers for years. First at Radio One at WL, um, and then at Sirius XM. We all were often in the very same places, covering uh, the same events and and the same stories. Um, and um, and also often emceeing many events. Um, I had heard, I had reached out to Joe a few months ago. I had texted him, and he didn't respond right away, which was somewhat unusual, but we're all busy. I had no idea um, that the prostate cancer had come back. And when I texted him, he always liked to keep up uh, with my son. You know, Joe was an athlete and a college athlete, and if there was one young person, uh, uh, I think um, uh, Lauren talked about his support of young people. There's one young person he really believed in. It was my son. And I texted him about some of my son's uh, college athletic exploits. And uh, he didn't respond right away. But, you know, I figured he was busy. No big deal. Um, and then I learned, like everybody else, that he was off the air and he was dealing with this return of the prostate cancer. And so... You know, one of the things that's very painful for me at this hour is it would be in, in any one of these situations. I was literally making plans. I've got to be in D.C. next week anyway. And so I was going to do what I could to get to see Joe. And um, the clock ran out. And the good Lord uh, called him home to glory. And so, uh, and we know that's where he is. Um, Joe and I had a lot of experiences together, probably over at least... Uh, role in at least the past 30 years, uh, not only going back to working together at WOL, but getting there um, when that was just two or three stations, not all the stations it is today. Um, we were 
with Dick Gregory and a lot of the movements. We went to jail at the CIA around the crack and powder cocaine issue that the CIA was involved in. We were with Maxine Waters. We were with Gary Webb of the San Jose Mercury News, um, standing up against that because we knew what Reagan had done in terms of in terms of bringing um, the bringing that back to um, bringing that story back to the forefront. And so. Um, this this is a loss because he wasn't just a, a radio host. He used to call himself a radio activist, uh, and that's exactly what he was. And then Joe's longevity, uh, going back to being an organizer for the NAACP in Detroit, um, uh, the influence he had there. In fact, uh, I, another reason I had reached out to him, frankly, now that I recall, uh, was that a, a mentor of his in Detroit uh, had actually uh, passed away, uh, a brother by the name of Duke, and um, someone that Joe looked up to a great deal and um, who was very supportive of him as, as he came along. Of course, he was on the board of the NAACP uh, for a number of years. Uh, and we, when I called you earlier this evening, and if there was, in transparency, if there was something that was texted to me and to Ayanna Gregory, Dick's uh, daughter, but we didn't know. And so we wanted to, to hopefully confirm that it wasn't true. Um, and then uh, Abba Blankson of the NAACP texted me that, in fact, it was the case. When you came to me, I was just on the phone uh, with Dr. Benjamin Chavis. He had called about the news. And of course, um, they were both—Joe was on the board of the NAACP when Dr. Chavis was named the, uh, the head of the NAACP back in the 90s. Um, and so, you know, J Joe had a very broad footprint in our people's struggle. And so this is this is heavy. This is this is a big one. It's it's something um, you know, it, he is irreplaceable. I mean, in, in our own respects, we all are. Um, but Joe's longevity in the struggle, um, Joe being so prolific in so many ways in the struggle. I mean, he practically coined and trademarked the term uh, uh, underrepresented, un undervalued, and marginalized. Uh, he said that every day. The hunger strikes um, that he did with Dick Gregory, uh, I, uh, I wasn't very good at hunger strikes because uh, I was afraid I was going to pass out. But um, Joe was was vigilant in all of those struggles, and he will certainly be missed. My um, my heartfelt love goes out to Sherry, Sherry, who um, has been recovering well from her own health struggles. God bless her. Um, his children. Um, Joe was a giant, um, but we're thankful. And we should all not simply mourn, but be rest assured as to where he is. He's outrun us to glory, and he deserves his crown. We talked about his work with the NAACP. Joining us right now is Wendell Anthony, president of the uh, Detroit chapter of the NAACP. Uh, Wendell, uh, always glad to see Reverend Anthony, always glad to see you uh, and talk to you. Uh, I'm sure you've got a thousand. Joe Madison stories. Good evening, Roland, to you and, and to your guests. Uh, first of all, 
uh, our prayers and condolences go out to Joe's family, Sherry and his children, uh, and all those in the in the radio talk show activist world who believed and understood um, and appreciated the work of Joe Madison. Uh, it is true, Joe uh, and I did have our own unique relationship. Joe was an activist here in the city of Detroit. Um, he was an NAACP baby. Um, he was one of the youngest, if not the youngest, executive director uh, of the Detroit branch and the NAACP in the country at the time when he became that. Uh, he was 24. Uh, we since then have um, had a, another young lady, uh, Camelia Landrum in Detroit, who was uh, now kind of um, surpassed that to the degree of being the youngest. There's just something about Detroit. Um, but Joe was always uh, an outspoken voice. Uh, he was his own uh, independent uh, self. Interesting thing is that when I first started uh, running for the NAACP, and now this is my 31st year as its president in Detroit, I hadn't planned on it, it just as what has happened, but Joe and I were on opposite teams. Joe was with uh, the folk that opposed me. Uh, and I mean, they really, really, really opposed me. Um, um, but we were successful and we won. Um, since that time, obviously, we had gotten together and beat our swords and spears um, uh, into plowshares and pruning hooks. Uh, and he and I understood that we had much more in common than we did in conflict. Um, he even was bold back here in the day. He worked with uh, WXYZ uh, radio. Uh, he was on that uh, station, AM station. And he was talking stuff back then uh, along the racial and social justice lines. A lot of folk uh, could not handle or appreciate that. Uh, at the time period, but it was real. Uh, and he maintained that even when he went uh, to the other stations uh, and later on found himself uh, at Sirius um, uh, under the handle of the Black Eagle. Uh, and certainly, um, I think the, um, the handle, the Black Eagle, uh, is illustrative of who Joe uh, Madison was and is. He flew high. Uh, he looked low and saw those situations of marginalized people. Uh, he exemplified the fact of the Almighty that though you have done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. Joe spoke up for people who could not speak for themselves. Um, the NACP uh, here in Detroit uh, and elsewhere, but particularly in Detroit, and when he was on the national board, um, and I was on the national board, and I still am on the national board. We want to make sure that the organization related uh, not just to corporate America, but to the little folks in America. That's why the organization came into being. Um, we dealt with people who were being lynched, who had no educational rights, who had no rights that white folk were duty-bound to respect. That's why uh, we exist. That's why we came into reality. And I think Joe was one uh, that did not want us to forget that. Uh, I think that 
um, on his show. Um, he talked about uh, things that irritated and upset people, but he did that for a reason. Um, you know, he didn't want to make you at ease in Zion, so to speak. He didn't want to make you comfortable in your misery uh, and acceptable of your agony. Uh, he wanted to shake you loose from all of that. Uh, that's why uh, he often said, you know, now that we hear this, now that we know what time it is, what are you going to do? Uh, that is a basic, fundamental Christian tradition. You know that, Roland. You, you are uh, versed in Scripture. You know uh, that it's not just important enough to hear the Word. You have to do something about the Word. What are you going to do about it now that you know it? You can't escape it. Escape it. A lot of folk want to hear it, but then they don't want to do nothing about it. A lot of folk know we in a mess in America, but the question is, what are you going to do about it? A lot of folk know we need to vote, but are you voting? A lot of folk know that we need to have black economic development in every area, but what are you doing to make sure that we have contracts and we have access and all those opportunities? And so I'm simply saying that Joe's voice was and is extremely important. The question is, what are we going to do now that that voice is no more? Who's going to step up and articulate the concerns uh, that Joe articulated when he was behind that microphone? Uh, he didn't bow down. He did not uh, take prisoners. Everybody wasn't comfortable with the way he talked and the way he moved and what he said. But he wasn't here to make you comfortable. He was here to make you uncomfortable. If you're comfortable, then you ain't going to do nothing. Only the uncomfortable people get charged enough to move and to make society uncomfortable enough so that society will move in a direction that it must. That's why John Lewis talked about, you know, we need people to engage in good trouble. Good trouble meaning that what you do um, has a, uh, a positive effect in terms of what we need to do. Uh, and Joe talked about putting it where uh, the goals, uh, the goats can get it. I mean, that's high. And goats go high. They own the premises of mountains. Uh, and they don't need a whole lot of foundation. They just jump and move from place to place. So we need to do that as well. You know, Roland, uh, and to your listening audience, that we got a hell of a job in 2024. There are people that want to take us and put us back on the plantation. You know that. Well, I ain't going. I'm acknowledging right now I am not going. Uh, I'm one who believes in the song that our ancestors sang, before I be a slave, I be buried in my grave and going home to my Lord and breathe free. They didn't bring us this far for us to turn back now. And for people saying it ain't nothing, uh, to get engaged about, nothing to vote about, nothing is going to change. Um, you missing the boat. Um, everything changed. Katanji Brown Jackson is a, a change. The folk that are in the cabinet of this man called Biden with more black people there is a change. Lowering college tuition costs is a change. Health care expansion is a change. Saving your life from a demagogue 
who wants to deport you and take every right from you that you got is a change. Don't wake up on the day after and say, oh, my God, what happened? I'm telling you now, you must happen to make sure that something bad and negative and crazy don't happen. If you can't do it for yourself, do it for your children. Do it for your grandchildren. Everybody got to get in this game. And I think that's what Joe was about. That's what the eagle is about. The eagle flies high, but he sees real low. And he knows that certain things can't go. God bless our brother, our friend, our comrade in the struggle. We thank him for living his purpose and his life shown with purpose. And the question is, what are you going to do with the purpose that you've been given? Indeed. Reverend Wendell Anthony, President of Detroit NAACP, we appreciate you sharing your thoughts uh, as we reflect on the life and legacy of the great Joe Madison. Thanks a lot. Thank you, brother. Uh, Mark, hold tight one second. We'll go to a break. We come back. I want to talk about, um, and Greg and Reese and Lauren as well, I want to talk about the work that Joe Madison did fighting modern-day slavery in Sudan. Uh, a lot of, he was doing this years ago, and, and he was pressuring U.S. presidents on this very issue as well. So we'll discuss that, folks. Uh, we're talking about Joe Madison, the black... My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. Uh, Radio Hall of Famer passed away uh, due to prostate cancer. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Hatred on the streets, a horrific scene, a white nationalist rally that descended into deadly violence. White people are losing their damn minds. An angry pro-Trump mob storms the U.S. Capitol. We're about to see the rise of what I call white minority resistance. We have seen white folks in this country who simply cannot tolerate black folks voting. I think what we're seeing is the inevitable result of violent denial. This is part of American history. Every time that people of color have made progress, whether real or symbolic, there has been what Carol Anderson at Emory University calls white rage as a backlash. This is the rise of the Proud Boys and the Boogaloo Boys. America, there's going to be more of this. Here's all the Proud Boys, guys. This country is getting increasingly racist in its behaviors and its attitudes because of the fear of white people. The fear that they're taking our jobs, they're taking our resources, they're taking our women. This is white fear. have one of the oldest cultures that's desperately needed for mutual salvation. That's the consciousness. We have the keys in our roots to save mankind. We get to see the, the condition of other countries, other oceans, other cultures. 
And if we believe in God, a lot of us do. He's telling us if you don't get rid of that stuff that makes somebody superior or inferior and work together for the mutual salvation, everybody's gone. What's up, Geek Theory in the place to be. You got Cake Touch at Mama's University, creator and executive producer of Fat Tuesdays, the air hip hop comedy. But right now, I'm rolling with Roland Martin, unfiltered, uncut, unplugged, and undamn believable. You hear me? Joe Mass off at the crib. Just so y'all know, he is a contributor to the Bring the Funk fan club. <laughs> so y'all need to be a contributor as well. Dang. Joe said, <laughs> Joe said he ain't mailing no check. <laughs> Appreciate it, Joe. Oh, man. Appreciate it. God bless you. That was the last time I saw Joe Madison. That was April 1st of last year, as I said. Uh, we were at the Dion Warwick uh, dedication at Bowie State, uh, dedicating the renaming of the auditorium, uh, the Forming Arts uh, Center after her. Uh, and I dropped him off at home, and uh, he said, wait a minute, I need to give my donation. I said, hold on, let me get this on video. Um, you know, and people always, you know, folks always kid me, you know, Mark. They always kid me talking about, man, you always got your camera. You always shooting stuff. Well... Uh, that one of the reasons why I'm, you, that's what I do, I document stuff uh, and uh, it's always history and you never know uh, when you're going to need it uh, and I'm glad I did that uh, also uh, guys pull a photo up uh, this was a photo we took first uh, and then he remembered he had to, uh, he said man I haven't given my donation this year uh, and so again he pulled $100 out uh, and gave it to me uh, and he was, uh, no that's a photo guys that's the video, I sent y'all a photo as well uh, there's a photo of the two of us uh, smiling uh, in the uh, smiling in the car there. Um, one of the things that um, Joe was really, really focused on, uh, and I'm going to start with you, Greg, was the issue of slavery in the Sudan. I mean, this was something that he did hunger strikes. I mean, he pressed government officials. Uh, he went there. Uh, he helped free. Uh, some folks who were, who were enslaved, uh, and it was one of those issues that did not get lots of attention in this country, but he made it a priority and made other national media outlets cover it. Yeah, and, and that's unfortunate. I know Mark knows a lot much more about this than I do. I mean, being, being there on the ground with him, you know, the, the Civil War in Sudan had stretched through the 80s into the 90s, uh, the thug that was in charge of Sudan at the time, Omar al-Bashir, uh, since deposed and gone. 
And of course, there's a new country, the newest country in Africa, South Sudan. Thinking about John Garang and the folks in South Sudan, the Dinka people in particular, Dinka, Nuer, Shilluk, the, the Africans, those who have not been Arabicized as such. And that war, which saw the trafficking, human trafficking, particularly the trafficking of the government, with, with support of the government, these Janjaweed people and others kidnapping African people by the thousands. And of course, we we probably have all heard the region of Western Sudan, then Sudan called Darfur. And there were a number of people all over the world, Christian missions, others coming in and quote unquote, buying the liberation of these people who were forced into service. And Joe Madison put everything on the line again, a, a vast silence. The UN was silent. Kofi Annan was the, was the head of the UN at the time, a, a Ghanaian. Uh, the Congressional Black Caucus hadn't said anything. And, you know, I remember there was a there was an article in the Village Voice by Nat Hentoff, the famous jazz critic, uh, uh, back around 2001, called The Black Eagle Swoops into Sudan. And Nat Hentoff said, you know, nobody's saying anything, but this Joe Madison guy has, has, has gone to Sudan. He's in Sudan. He's back and forth. He has helped liberate over 7,000 people of African descent. And then Joe Madison put some of these South Sudanese, some of these Sudanese uh, young people uh, on the air, on Sirius, on his show. And, and, and you hear him talking about that. And eventually Jesse Jackson made a statement and other folk came in. But the United States of America's geopolitics, it wasn't necessary. They were in bed with this guy who was running Sudan. And no, they didn't like the, the humanitarian crisis. But we know that politics in this country, as most countries in the world, trumps the moral Cause And Joe Madison went right from the anti-apartheid movement to the movement to free those who were being enslaved in the Sudan. And that's just a basic overview. But as again, as I said, Mark, our brother knows much more about it than I do. Mark, speak about that again. Uh, why was Joe so focused on this issue that he made it a, a national priority? Well, I, I think one of the reasons he did so uh, was because no one else was talking about it. Uh, and as we all know, when you start talking about Africa and news from Africa, tragically, there's not a lot of interest. There's enough news um, every day that we could have an, an Africa unfiltered with news 24 hours a day. Um, and I remember when Joe got involved in what was going on in the Sudan, um, uh, Greg was, was right at the beginning it wasn't very popular, unfortunately. Um, but he held his ground. He he pushed the story and and actually made it into a story that no one could really ignore. And so you know, there's you know, I, I've been saying to people lately that if everybody in or if I'm in a room full of people and everybody in the room picks just one aspect of our struggle and focuses on that one aspect there'll still be a million other issues and crises for us to address. And Joe picked this one, and I think, quite frankly, because it was about our people in Africa, one. Two, because it was so largely ignored, I think he found something that he said, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to amplify something that no one else is willing to amplify. And it helped raise a generation's conscientiousness about what's going on in the continent. And right now, you know, what's going on in Sudan is also tragic. What's going on in the Congo and, and different parts of Africa, what's going on in Haiti, 
those issues aren't getting the coverage that they should. But as Reverend Anthony said, who's going to step up in Joe Madison's place? Who's going to do what he did? This is the call now for others of us to take on some of these issues and amplify them. We're talking about Gaza, uh, as important as that is, covering Gaza wall to wall. Uh, hell, I just wrote a song about Gaza. And my daughter said, well, when are you going to write a song, Abba, about the Sudan and the Congo? And and she challenged me. I'm not a songwriter. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, but, but the point is that there are issues that are facing our people right now today. Joe is, Joe is an example of covering those issues that were not popular. And we need more Joe Madisons like that to cover, to protest, to demonstrate, to be active, to be activists around the issues that are affecting the continent, affecting the motherland. And, Reese, uh, this is the thing that it's hard for some people to understand. And, look, I, I, I totally get the radio shows out there that talk about the latest celebrity, that talk about Nicki Minaj beefing with Meg The Stallion, people talking about the Cat Williams interview on Club Shay Shay, uh, talking about um, Glorilla or what somebody else is doing. And Joe and I used to always laugh because he was like, I ain't got time for that crap. He said, we got way too much important stuff. And this is why you must have black folks behind microphones who are willing to talk about the stuff that others don't want to deal with and it may not be sexy and it may not be trendy but it's absolutely about life and death it truly is and there's an appetite for it. there's a huge appetite for black people to be treated like intelligent human beings who are citizens of not just the United States but of the world and want to be informed and want to be active and 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 civically engaged and that is where Joe Madison really uh, found a, a, a deep and devoted following and he helped move the needle on so many important issues um, and so it's important and it's it feels especially tragic to have this loss um, in 2024 in this important election year. We know how Joe felt about um, voting, his hunger strike, as uh, Dr. Carr mentioned earlier, to get voting rights. And with all of our um, rights under attack or citizenship under attack, the, the biggest platforms that are getting attention, Black platforms, are those who are ill-equipped to uh, counter the white supremacy that's being platformed and normalized in their face, like The Breakfast Club, who had Nikki Haley and Vivek Ramaswamy and others on there. Um, it, it, it's a shame. But irrespective of what others do, we all who have a platform, and Joe is 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 the the ultimate epitome of this, have a responsibility, and we have the capability to tell the stories that aren't being told. We have the ability to move the needle. We have the ability to be thought leaders and not followers, not followers of what's trending, not followers of what the algorithm is saying people want to hear, but to actually push the conversations into the public sphere that need to be had and push politicians. Because it's not about who has the most number of followers or who gets the most likes and retweets. It's about the people like the Pelosi's who are listening, getting this free uh, political insight and commentary and advice that, 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 that many of us give on black media to these politicians to better them and push them towards what needs to happen. And so, you know, we all have big shoes to fill. We can't
place town. But I think, as Lauren said, we have the blueprint to follow to make sure that we're having these important conversations, not just what everybody is talking about, but what we need to be talking about. Um, you know, I was sitting here, um, so I, someone had sent me a, uh, a text message. Uh, Lauren, I said, I think the last time, uh, I mean, we've done a lot of these memoriums. Uh, I've lost some folks that I've, some great folks that I've known, Harry Belafonte, Richard Roundtree, Randall Robinson, and others. But I told somebody, uh, I said, I think the last time that I actually shed tears uh, was when George Curry uh, had passed away uh, and knew him well as well. And, and I was thinking about George and I was thinking about Joe and, and they knew each other well as well. I mean, these were these were two individuals, one a radio personality and activist, one a journalist uh, who were hardcore about the business, who were hardcore about uh, telling our stories. Uh, and, and and that's what we have to have. And we, we have to, the reality is we have to create the space for the next generation of voices who are serious about this because we've got enough fluff out here. We've got to have avenues and individuals who understand why the news matters and who are willing to also challenge uh, black leadership. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And he was definitely willing, Joe Madison is definitely willing to challenge black leadership. Um, you know, it's hard to figure out sometimes whether this question of serious journalism versus celebrity is a chicken and egg proposition. A lot of people say that, you know, when people are going for web traffic and view counts on YouTube, you got to have entertainment for that. But to your point, Roland, about, you know, the Sudan issue not being sexy and not being trending, Joe Madison made that issue trending. He made, he single-handedly took an issue that nobody was paying any attention to, and he just talked about it again and again and again. He put it on the forefront. And uh, to your point, I mean, the value of him being the person making that decision to make that issue a priority is what made that issue a priority. So, uh, you know, there's plenty of view hours out there for all sorts of topics, but what is certainly lacking in journalism today, as we see so many journalism platforms failing and cutting jobs from the L.A. Times to the Messenger, uh, what's lacking is investigative, serious discussions about something that is life and death, like the Sudan issue. There's so many others out there. And again, you know, Joe Madison's form and style of journalism is exactly what we what we're missing and we need right now. And that's why this is a huge, a huge moment, a huge turning of the page and sort of an end of an era uh, at the exact time that journalism is really, I think, changing into something else. Uh, indeed. Um, um, Mark Thompson, uh, I appreciate you joining us. Um, We'll be chatting with you over the next few days as well as we get details with regards to funeral service for Joe. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Uh, let me just say one other thing, and God bless all of you. Long live the spirit of Joe Madison. We don't remind everyone, Joe was from Detroit, and so he was very close with all the folks in Motown, close with Queen Aretha Franklin. You alluded to earlier, close with Dionne Warwick. But the thing we have to remember, there were the four tops. Joe was the honorary fifth top. That's how close he was to Levi Stubbs and the Four Tops and to the whole <laughs> Motown scene. So we got to lift that up. Joe Madison was the fifth top. Joe, we miss you. Um, we love you, and we just going to 
keep on holding up the bloodstained banner as long as we can. I'll see you in the morning, brother. Mark, thanks a lot. Going to a break, folks. Roland Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Star Network. As it relates to health care, joining me this week on Washington Watch, Robert Trainum, host of Roll Call TV on the Comcast Network, Deborah Mathis, always so shy and quiet, BlackAmericaWeb.com contrib contributor, a newbie to our panel, Michelle Bernard, MSNBC contributor and president of the Independent Women's Forum, and my dog, the Black Eagle, Joe Madison, talk show host on Sirius XM Radio. Folks, welcome to the show. Thanks. Good to see you. We'll try not to haze you too much, Michelle. We always do that <laughs> the first time. Yes. Uh, on Capitol Hill this week, and it's real tense. It's real tense. Every time there was a vote on anything, when they came off, it was like... the next Get Wealthy with me, Deborah Owens, America's Wealth Coach. The wealth gap has literally not changed in over 50 years, according to the Federal Reserve. On the next Get Wealthy, I'm excited to chat with Jim Castleberry, CEO of Known Holdings. They have created a platform, an ecosystem to bring resources to Blacks and people of color so they can scale their business. Even though we've had several examples of um, African-Americans and other people of color being able to be successful, we still aren't seeing the mass level of us being lifted up. That's right here on Get Wealthy, only on Black Star Network. Next on The Black Table with me, Greg Carr. We look at the history of emancipation around the world, including right here in the United States, the so-called end of slavery. Trust me, it's a history lesson that bears no resemblance to what you learned in school. Professor Chris Manjapra, author, scholar, amazing teacher, joins us to talk about his latest book, Black Ghost of Empire, The Death of Slavery and the Failure of Emancipation. He explains why the end of slavery was no end at all but instead a collection of laws and policies designed to preserve the status quo of racial oppression. The real problem is that the problems that slavery in invented have continued over time. And what reparations are really about is saying, how do we really transform society, right? And, and, and stop racial violence, which is so endemic. What we need to do about it on the next installment of The Black Table, right here on the Black Star Network. Hey, what's up, y'all? I'm Devon Frank. I'm Dr. Robin B., pharmacist and fitness coach, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered.
Hey, folks, welcome back to Roland Martin Unfiltered here on the Black Star Network. I'm at the Black Academy of Arts and Letters here in Dallas, where they're having the installation service in about 30 minutes for Reverend Dr. Frederick Douglass Haynes, the new president and CEO of the Rainbow Push Coalition. We'll be carrying this event live on the Black Star Network. Uh, so look for that uh, in about, uh, about 40 minutes when it's going to begin. Um, I said uh, Joe appeared on, appeared on this show uh, several times, but uh, he appeared a lot on my news one now, uh, my TV one show, Washington Watch, uh, which ran for 2009, 2013. In fact, it's crazy. I mean, just the other day, I was literally going through my archives and I was coming across uh, the first episodes uh, because TV one celebrated its 20th anniversary on MLK Day. Uh, and I pulled up the first uh, episode uh, of the show. Uh, and I looked at a bunch of other photos that I had in my archives, and it was like Joe was on a number of those panels, so it seemed like he was on the show all the time. Uh, and here is one of the appearances where we were talking about black organizations. I love to study the civil rights movement. And what I thought was interesting, and, and part of this whole thing we're doing, Black Power, uh, Ebony Magazine is the whole focus on 2010 is the whole notion of black power. Yep. When I interviewed Reverend Al Sharpley, he talked about staying in your lane. The beauty of the civil rights movement is different folks stayed in their lane. That is, the Urban League had their role, NAACP mm -hmm. had their role, uh, Legal Defense Fund had their role, SCLC had their, everybody had their own lanes, mm -hmm. but and that's how things actually got done. But the lines are obscured now. The problem now is, April, you have black organizations all trying to do everything, education and health care and economics and civil rights, and nobody seems to be just in their lane locking and loading. And see, and that's 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 the point. It's, it's about education, but it's far more than that. We have so many disparities in the minority community, and particularly the African-American community. Education is the key to unlock the door to so many things. But at the same time, you have disparities uh, in prison populations. You have disparities in health. You have disparities all across the board and so many things, but here in, in jobs, particularly right now. But, you know, in talking to many civil rights leaders and, and black leaders that I do quite a bit, they are going through a shift right now with this new president. And it, it's the same kind of situation uh, back in 1963. You know, African-Americans are still looking for first-class citizenship, although there is a black president. The shift is many of the black leaders said, look, we have a black president. We're looking for that compassion that uh, we didn't get from the other yeah. women, from the well, other presidents. Hold yeah. on. No, no. And, but wait a minute. Wait a minute. They're saying we're looking we for that compassion. We have a president who happens. Well, to be black. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. In our previous panel, we dealt with political power and President Obama. I think the problem in terms of the organizations is they don't know how to connect to this generation. No, 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 this generation. 
See, this generation is sitting here saying, I want to be involved, I want to be engaged, but it seems the organizations don't know how to necessarily connect with them. And so the reason the NAACP and the Herb League have been around for 100 years is because they have survived from generation to generation. Joe, the existing organizations, the larger ones, are they going to be possibly supplanted by groups that are coming up? We may not necessarily know about them. But we've always had groups that have come up. Even, look, like 1968, the NAACP was as strong as it ever had been, and you had groups that addressed different things. The Black Panther right. Party was, was, we've always had different groups address different things. Let's go back to this issue of power, integration. What is integration? King said it. It is the sharing of power, resources, and responsibility. Those three things. Mm -hmm. Education, and he hit it right on right. the head is the new currency right. of the globe. These communities that have the most educated people are going, the education is more valuable than gold. So, so, so should, should the organizational agendas be and shifting and changing yes. to meet with the generation? Yes. And, and, and who do you think, out of all the ones out there, who do you think is doing a good enough job? Should folks be looking at Jeffrey Canada and what he's doing in Harlem yes. saying, you know what, we should be boosting this brother and what he's doing? But and, and I'll tell you about the yes. NACP. NACP, they had a housing department. I ran their voter education mm -hmm. department for years, yeah, registering right. people to vote. We addressed internet. They had an international department. They had a prison program. They have got to be. They also had stability of leadership. Well, well, yeah, that that's a whole Ben Jones is new. Mark Morial is new. Bernice King now running the SCLC. Again, you have you, it's a whole different thing goes on. See, but but, yeah. but this goes back. These organizations. But this, is, but this goes back Good again. Point. This goes back again to the shifting of power. About fifteen seconds. Okay, the shift means that a lot of these organizations are trying to find their way in how to attack the issues of Black America going to this president, who um, happens to be Black. Yeah. No, they are. This is what they're I'm telling. Just, they're trying to find their way through this shit. It's not shift. just about the president. It is about the it's people. Everyone. But no, but again, if you do not connect with the people, if you do not that's, take the issues right. and connect with yep. the people, then it does not matter who is in the White House, you will not be affected. And, final comments, final comments. We need a new sense of militancy and activism in this our community. Great point. Ron, and final I comment. That, I agree with that, yeah. and as it relates to education, if our kids aren't equipped, we cannot compete in the world stage. And to my militancy, man, I want to see Ron Christian in a beret. Oh, man, we had some feisty conversations uh, back then, just as we do right now. Uh, final comments with my panel. Uh, Lauren, I want to start with uh, you. Um, the Black Eagle, Joe Madison. Uh, well, I mean, it's... It, <laughs> It's a uh, it's a terrible time that this all happens, and you know to listen to you guys discuss uh, what you were just discussing on that old show kind of gives me a bad feeling because when I see a discussion like that, 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 that was 2010. Right. That was 2010, <laughs> Lauren. Right, and it, it always is sort of remarkable when you hear a discussion like that. You realize we're having some of these same discussions now, which of course tells you that not a whole lot of progress was made, but uh, you know. The whole question of, of black leadership and what Joe was saying there is an interesting one because I think actually things have gotten a little bit worse uh, because of the corporate nature of our our leadership, in, in fact, quotes. But at any rate, 
you know, obviously Joe will be missed, and uh, it's it's just hard to it's hard to think about him not being here. To Reese's earlier point, in this particular election year, where we know that uh, there's going to be some consequential news this year, and not having him around for that is is just huge. Just huge. Reese. Um... Joe cussed a lot on his Sirius XM radio show, uh, and he actually had a cuss jar. And so every time he would cuss, he had to put some money in that. So he would sometimes just come in and just put $100 in there, and he said, y'all know I'm about to let loose. Uh, I don't know if you got a cuss jar on your show, uh, but if it was, I'll say it was two things you and Joe had in common is Sirius XM radio and cussing. Well, I, I will absolutely take that as a badge of honor. Uh, it was always uh, the biggest compliment somebody could give me that I was like the female Joe Madison. I don't know if he would agree, uh, but I do remember somebody did call into his show. And 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 I mean, I've, I saw him in the halls of series. He had no idea who I was, even though, of course, I knew who he was. And I had uh, been on the panel when he was promoting Radioactive. But they called in and they said, you know, there's there's a, a, a woman on Sirius XM who has a show who because it just like you, Joe. And he seemed proud. He seemed very proud of that, of that notion. And so I will at least at a minimum fly that cussing flag on the Urban View radios out here in these streets because. As you put it so often, you reminded us that um, that Joe Madison was about putting it where the goats can get it. And I think that beyond the the delivery itself, the important thing is reaching the people. And the important thing is not being sitting here just to pontificate and feel really good about yourself because you just letting people know in your own way. If it doesn't reach the people, if they're not getting it, then you're just talking, blowing hot air. And so I think that is a lesson for many of us is to stay authentic, stay true, but also really respect your audience and 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 bring them along with you. If they're if you're not if you're not really reaching the people, then what are you doing? You know what I'm saying? That doesn't mean bring yourself down a level because your audience is probably smarter than you give them credit for, but it just means that that is the ultimate goal, is to move people and to really resonate with people in a way that is going to make everything better for us, because we need each other. We can't do it alone in this environment. Dr. Greg Carr, Joe Madison was well-read. Uh, he was someone who was uh, very uh, highly intellectual, uh, was a running buddy uh, of Dick Gregory. In fact, uh, he led the fundraising efforts to get Dick Gregory his uh, Hollywood Walk of Fame uh, star. We were there in California uh, for that uh, for that event as well. Um, I think I did a Q&A with uh, Dick Gregory uh, on stage. Uh, just your final thoughts about uh, the Black Eagle, Joe Madison, now being an ancestor. Roland, just listening to this show, listening to you, watching those clips, you know, I agree with, with Lauren, you know, it reminds me that, you know, Wade Nobles, the psychologist once said that power is the ability to define reality and have other people accept your definition of, as if it was theirs. Mm. You know, we have the potential for power, but in order to get that power, we have to do what Reese said. We've got to speak to the people, and the people have to speak with us and listen to us and move together. You know, Joe Madison was an intellectual. And when we think about it in terms of continuity, you sitting there talking with Mark, you know, he's a different generation. 
You know, Joe Madison is is of a generation just before you, and then you come along, and then Mark come along, and here come you know Reese and Lauren, and to, and 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 in that context, we have to understand that there was nowhere to run and nowhere to hide at one time in the black press. I was just reading the uh, report back from the NNPA uh, meeting in Florida. You know, where is the black press today? With all due respect to, you know, again, the Breakfast Club and these other places, there are too many places to run and too many places to hide. That means now that the next generation, the Roland Martins and the Karen Hunters, and, uh, and then the generation right behind them, the Clay Canes and the Reese Colberts, and the print journalists who also do all other forms of media, like the Lauren Victoria Burks, it's time now for continuity. We got to take away all the hiding places because our open enemies define their power by the ability to hide y'all. When Joe Madison came along, it wasn't nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. Nancy Pelosi ain't gonna talk to me. Okay, she'll talk to Roland Wade. She ain't gonna talk to me and Roland. She's gonna talk to April. She's gonna what well, guess what? It's time out for these solo acts trying to push their brand. Joe Madison was about sacrificing community. And now Roland Martin Unfiltered becomes that much more important. It's time for some networking, some community, some coalition building. We gotta take away all these places to run and hide. Because Joe Madison gonna fight for us on the other side. But he can't fight the battles we got to fight now in 2024. This could be for all the marbles. So it's more important now than ever. And thank you, Roland, because nobody else is going to do this. And that's part of the problem, too. Uh, Greg, appreciate it. Um, this, um, we were literally, so the plan was for us uh, to talk about some other perspectives. We had other guests planned. Uh, as I said, I'm here in Dallas at the Black Academy for Arts and Letters, uh, as you can see. Uh, folks are preparing uh, behind me. Folks are coming into uh, the auditorium here uh, because uh, in about 20 minutes, uh, they're going to begin uh, the installation service for Reverend Dr. Frederick uh, Douglas Haynes III. He asked me to come here. In fact, Freddie asked me, uh, he was my pastor here at Friendship West Baptist Church where I lived here in Dallas, uh, to come give some remarks uh, specifically about the importance of black-owned media. Uh, and uh, then literally as I was getting out of the car uh, to walk across the street at the park, uh, Mark Thompson had sent me a text um, say, said that I had heard that, um, that uh, Joe had passed away. And uh, we began to make some calls, and, and then all of a sudden, about 15 minutes later, uh, the confirmation was there, uh, and we completely changed the entire show. Um, and so we'll, we, we, we'll rebook the other guests uh, as well. Uh, and, uh, and obviously uh, here, uh, there are a number of people who are going to be speaking here. Um, I'll be getting a reaction from them with regards to um, the life and legacy of Joe Madison. We'll have more of that uh, tomorrow. Uh, we're going to cut the show right now. So what's going to happen is I'm going to go to break. First of all, we'll still be live. For us. I'm going to go to break. We come back. We're going to re-air uh, my conversation with Joe about his book. We talk about his life, his career. Uh, we did this uh, early last year, uh, and I'm, I'm thankful that he released the book. I'm thankful that he came by the studio and we had the conversation. Um, Joe Madison, 74 years old, passed away after another valiant battle with prostate cancer. Uh, folks, that is it. Like I said, we're going to go to a break. We'll come back. We'll have that for you. We'll also go live in about 20 minutes from here. So we have two different live streams going. Um, and, folks, this is why Joe supported us. This is why he was a contributor to the, to the, um, to the Bring the Funk fan club, because he understood the importance of black-owned media. He understood the importance of this show. 
Uh, and so uh, we want you to do exactly what Joe did uh, and support this show because mainstream media is not going to give Joe his props. We're going to have more tributes over the next several days. Uh, and so you can count on that uh, because that's what we do. That's what we we speak to our people. We tell our stories. Uh, and so you know how to contribute to us. Uh, our Brenda Funk Fan Club, Checking Money Orders, P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 2003-7-0196. Cash App, Dollar Sign, RM Unfiltered, PayPal, R. Martin Unfiltered, Venmo's RM Unfiltered, Zale, Roland at RolandSMartin.com, Roland at RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. Uh, I never actually do a Brenda Funk um, giving item when we have any memoriams, uh, but I chose to do so because, again, Joe believed in this show. He believed in me. He believed in black-owned media, and he believed in providing black people with information because information is power. And he would always say, you got to put it where the ghost can get it. And so um, that's why we pay tribute to him. And so we're going to go to break, and we'll come back, and you'll hear my conversation with Joe Madison about his book, Rest in Peace, Black Eagle, back in a moment. next a balanced life with me dr jackie how big a role does fear play in your life your relationship to it and how to deal with it can be the difference between living a healthy life a balanced life or a miserable one whenever the power of fear comes along you need to put yourself in that holding pattern and breathe examine find out if there's something that your survival instinct requires you to either fight or take flight. Facing your fears and making them work for you instead of against you. That's all next on A Balanced Life on Black Star Network.
Folks, when you hear folks talk about Sirius XM Radio, they talk about Howard Stern, one of the stars, but Joe Madsen is also one of the big time stars at Sirius XM. Has been, been on their network for a very long time. Uh, he will also take Howard's check, too. Uh, of course, for long time, folks in D.C. heard him on WOL uh, Radio. He, of course, has been on the front lines of so many issues, not just in the United States, fighting for, uh, uh, fighting for Sudan. A longtime friend of Dick Gregory, who's NAACP board member, uh, talks about all of this stuff, his life in his book, uh, Radioactive, uh, the subtitle, A Memoir of Advocacy in Action on the Air and in the Streets, and Joe is one of them black people who's a member of the Bring the Funk fan club who put the money right in my hand. I tell a story. Whoa, whoa, I whoa, 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 hold on a second. No, no, no. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. This is real, too. There you go. So, Joe, I tell That's the story. That's my annual dude. Joe gives an annual $100. I tell, I, 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 I did an interview, Joe. Yeah. And I actually, I think it was with uh, Cafe Mocha. Check the backseat. Check the backseat. All right, come here. Check the backseat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. And I, I had them crying. I said, y'all don't know what it's like when you travel around the country. And you're in, you're in Tulsa, whatever. And somebody, and like, you're on the air. And somebody black just walk up, and they just go. But can I tell you a story? And they squeeze your hand. Can and I, they go. Can I and walk off. Can I tell you a story? It's in the book. I started a cuss jar because <laughs> I heard Howard Stern cuss a woman out. So I went to the president of Sirius XM, and I said, can I do what Howard Stern does. He says, well, you know, I've heard you slip up every now and then, and it's organic. And I said, he said, but sure. I said, now, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Howard's a six-foot-five white guy that you guys are paying, a, a, you know, half a billion dollars to or more. And if I cuss out some white woman or white man, will you have my back? And he said, yeah. Now, I have my wife with me, who's the executive producer. She's always with me because she's the witness. And, <laughs> and, and we walked out, and I said, did he give me permission to do that? She said, oh, I think he did. So I started doing it. And every now and then, little old ladies would call up, God bless them. Oh, Mr. Madison, you really shouldn't do that. <laughs> you know, I said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm gonna put a I'm gonna put a dollar and I first called it a swear jar. Mm. But then George Wallace said, black folks don't swear, yeah, they we, cuss. We cuss. And so I changed it to a cuss jar. Now this goes back to what you said about palming. Right, right. I'm at Morehouse. We're doing a voter registration, get out the vote drive. Afterward, we're you know taking selfies. Right. Folks stand up, and the ministers, I walked out of there with $400 in cash and for the cuss jar. <laughs> and most of the money came from ministers. <laughs> they were like, keep cussing. I can't cuss, but you are a surrogate cussing. <laughs> 
I had a woman in Tulsa. She said, "Now, Roland, I'm gonna give you this money, but but baby, can you can you can you just stop cussing?" I said, "Look, I said I said I know mm-hmm. how you feel. No. I said, but sometimes." Uh, I said, look, some, stu- some stuff got to be said. Look, the show is called Unfiltered. I said, I got I, to keep it real. Well, and, and, the, and the reality, if you're going to let Howard Stern do it, then, you know, I'm, you know, you're talking about equity. <laughs> now, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I cuss. Now, I, but, now, but, I don't cuss like Reese cuss. No, no. no I'm now, not. Reese. Yeah. Reese cuss. Oh, is that right? But see, and every now and then, I have to invoke... Uh, Jackson, man, you know, Samuel. I just, but, but look, uh-uh, people. Uh-uh. Huh? It's two. Who? Before I met Reese, there were two people who Why? I thought, what, first of all, I thought before I met Jennifer Lewis, Sam Jackson was the absolute king of motherfuckers. <laughs> but when I met Jennifer Lewis, she became the queen of motherfuckers. But, Reese is the princess of Reese will okay okay this is how I got to know Reese Reese would do these videos right. on Twitter right. Joe she be I'm talking about she uses more cuss words in two minutes than a whole lot of people and but she killing it now she killing it and so I said Man, you know, I, I say, I got to put her on the air. So, Joe, she comes on the air, and so she's sitting on the air, and so she's talking. And I'm like, dang, why I called your ass? I'm like, I need... So, after about three or four appearances, I said, look, you got to... I, I need you to do you. I said, I, I, ain't, I ain't invite your ass here to be somebody else. Mm. The person do them videos, oh, ever since then, oh, Lord. What, 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 what my girl say, let your freak flag fly, let your cuss flag fly. Well, you know, it goes back again in the book. I, I have a, a, a chapter about success, and there was three things that I was told. Be original, be authentic, and then be daring. Mm. And when you look at folks, and particularly in our business, what you're doing, for example, nobody does this. It's, it's original. You're authentic. When you see Roland Martin, you get Roland Martin. Your guests are all authentic. That's really the formula of, of success. Um, but but I, I, I say this, Roland, uh, the one of the th- things I wanted the book to do was to be in my voice. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the most difficult things I had with the editor and mm. Dr. Canton, uh, because they started writing it in their voice. And I always go back to what uh, Malcolm, somebody mm. said about Malcolm X and, and Al Taylor. Taylor uh-huh. Because Malcolm used to have to shape, you know, kind of shake up Alex Haley. That's not the way, that's right. not what I'm thinking about. So I wanted it to be in my voice. The other thing I wanted was people to understand that you use your use your platform, and and that the and I always remember something else. There's a chapter in there that Professor, the late Professor Ron Walters mm. said, and you t- and that was he he gave a lecture, and a student asked he he chastised students about moments. You go in, you have a demonstration, you leave, right? Go back to the campus, go back to wherever. You just had a moment, right? What, what movement? You, it was a moment. It was, it was a moment. And, and so one student said, well, professor, what's the difference between a moment and a movement? And he said, sacrifice. All movements in human history 
require mm. sacrifice. And sometimes that's what you do. I had to sacrifice a job. I, I tell this story in Philadelphia. At my first full-time talk show, uh, I moved from Detroit. That was my political base. Children were born. I moved everybody to Philadelphia. And uh, I was doing a show. Now, get this, midnight to 5.30 in the morning. <laughs> and I was only black. And I had the program director and the owner tell me, now, this is after. In Philadelphia. In Philadelphia. Uh, we're getting too many calls and letters, because this is before social media. Uh, you're talking about black folk too much. And, and so, <laughs> you know, you know me. So the next day, I, I decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to interview two people, different viewpoints. So it was Ron Brown, because he was running to be chairman of the DNC, mm -hmm. the first black chairman. So I had Ron Brown on one hour. And then the next hour, I interviewed Louis Farrakhan. <laughs> I was gone. <laughs> and, and, uh, you say, y'all want to see black? And, and then when I came to, uh, you know, then, and then <laughs> when I came, and, and then, and you, and you oh, now I'm, I'm re and all of this is in the book, so I'm doing a, a TV that Geraldo was, this is when the, hey, the first beginning of talk radio. Right. And, and, and there was this argument about black folk, black folk, and, and, and uh, talk radio, but there weren't a lot of black folk. And the program director of WABC, uh, Geraldo asked him legitimately, why don't you have any black folk on, on, uh, on, in a New York, and you don't have a single black person? Uh, and he said, oh, well, we have to think about it. And then somebody spoke up and said, well, you do have a black person. And I can't remember the man's name now. And he said, oh, well, we don't think of him as black. And, and, and that debate is what sort of got me into Washington. Uh, and because the program director said, well, if they don't want you in Philly, we want you in Washington. Mm -hmm. But I did say this. I'm not going here and replacing another black. See, they have one black person. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and uh, I said, so if you're going to hire me and fire her, then I don't want the job because I'm not going to play that game. Right. Um, this is, and you know, it's, it's about sacrifice. And then take your platform, and, and you do this all the time. Go to a war zone in Sudan. I, I swear, I asked, and Geraldo can be upset if he wants to. I've been in that war in South Sudan for, had gone back and forth at least six times. I kept asking people who had more resources than I had, come with me. Mm -hmm. I mean, he asked me, well, can we get in and out of South Sudan in a day? Uh, what hotel are we going to stay in? Excuse me, we're sleeping in the bush. It's a war going on. Yeah. Uh, and, and uh, you know, he just walked away. He just walked away. And I think at the time he was with AB, ABC. And then I've had some brothers who I've asked to go with me. And, and, and they, well, they would say, well, there's a war going on. You don't see the folks at CNN Everybody's clamoring to get over there mm -hmm. because there's a war uh, going on. And the other final thing I wanted people to understand in the book was people tend to look at us as we are now. Right. They see you. They say, oh, man, he's got a nice suit on. 
Brother, I was not born with this suit right, on. Right, right. I always say, no, everybody want to talk about Bishop T.D. Jakes today. They don't want to talk about when he was, when he was digging ditches in West Virginia. Or, or when I was, and when I was 10, year, 10 years old, my grandfather hauled trash. That's how he made a living. Separated metals, paper, and I worked with him. In those days, they called it a dump. Today, it's a landfill. <laughs> and that's how I spent my summers. That's how I made my money in my summer. So in the book, I talk about going from working and, and my grandfather saying to me, you don't like this, do you? What is there to like? No, hell no, I don't <laughs> like this. And he said, well, then, then you got two choices. And that is you either go to the military, and those days he said to Army, or you, uh, you go to college. But come 18, you're getting out of here. And, and I always, and I didn't talk about in the book that I go from working in a dump to interviewing the first black president of the United States in the Oval Office. Um, and so I just want people to understand uh, that uh, none of us in this business, first, all of us in this business have to use our platform. And right. that's what you were talking about all this, this evening. Yeah. You got to use, everybody can do something. And that's been my, 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 my mantra. No matter who you are, everybody can do something. I can't do what you do. This place is, I mean, I wish people could see where I am. This is magnificent, man. You ought to be renting this out to, to, to all kind of folks. But everybody. <laughs> that, that, that's on the list. But everybody can do something. The, the thing that you talked about being talk radio, and the general public really doesn't think about this how white folks absolutely dominate talk radio. Oh, yes. But not just talk radio, sports talk radio. Oh. And so, how people, I, I tell people all, all, all the time, the, the media is the second most powerful institution in the world. First being? Mil guns, okay. the military. Yeah. Get the guns. Any cool is guns first, yeah. media second. Right. And, you're, and, and just what you said is what you do with it. So you've seen other folks and how they frame stories and how they talked about stories and how they've talked about individuals. Uh, the, the white loud Republican, how he dogging Phyllis Randall. No, no, we're going to have Phyllis on. And again, yeah. it's, it's, it's framing. And I tell people all the time, you cannot ignore the reality of how powerful media is in shaping the hearts and minds of the public. That's right. And the other thing I'll, I'll talk about, and that is, and this is what makes <laughs> your show so fascinating and popular. You hear me say, put it where the goats can get it. Yeah. I tell people that all around the country. And, I said, as Joe Madison says, put it where the ghost now, can get that, it. Now, that is, an, I came, you know, and I'm kind of intimidated with all these distinguished professors. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I am absolutely, especially my man from Howard. Look oh, at great, great. Great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I am. But let me tell you, let me tell you. I came back from college, <laughs> and I believe it was a Thanksgiving dinner. My grandfather, Clarksdale, Mississippi, no more than a sixth grade education, wasn't because he was dumb. It was just what it was. Jim Crow days. as well, Jim yeah. Crow, Jim Crow. And I'm trying to wax eloquently about what I, this philosophy teacher and data. My grandfather looked, he, he said, Joseph, why don't you put it where the goats can get it? <laughs> and I'm like, what, what the hell is he talking about? It's an old country saying, 
Goats eat down to the root. They go beyond the top, and they go all the way down. And he said, if you can explain it to me so that I understand it, I imagine that teacher with a PhD would probably understand, too. Right. And that's, this is what irritates me about all of these talking heads that, you know, that, that uh, you see on, on news shows is they, you know, I just wish they would just plain, just, we, somebody used to say, explain it to me like I'm in the second yeah, grade. it's real basic. Just basic. We, I mean, we, we used to always cross paths uh, during Lou Dobbs' show when he was sane. Uh, when he was at CNN. People don't believe, but at one point right. he well, was sane. Lou Dobbs was yeah. absolutely sane. Yeah, right, then he right. had a lobotomy and he lost his damn mind. Actually, it was talk radio that actually changed him. Yes, it was. It, it was the, when he well, got that, that I, radio show. See, when he got that contract with everybody. <laughs> but that, but it, because when he got the radio show, it was yeah. around the same time that Rush Limbaugh signed for 100 million. Yes. And Lou, that's what caused Lou to lose his damn mind. So we, we used to always do these shows together, and, and you're absolutely right. One of the things that made me so popular on CNN, I told it straight. That's right. I mean, I wasn't sitting here, and, and, and it, was a, it was a trip because they tried to change my wardrobe. Really? They, oh, yeah, absolutely. They tried to change. Uh, they always wanted, you know, this is how we do it. I said, whoa, whoa let me explain something to y'all. I ain't them. I remember sitting on the set one day, and Joe, Joe, Joel Klein with Time Magazine, we're sitting there, and someone said something. I said, look, I ain't him. I said, first of all, look at him. I said, he got dirt on his jacket. He wearing some khaki pants and his boring-ass blue shirt. I said, I don't know about y'all, but shit, I'm clean. That ain't me. I said, I ain't gonna never look like him. So I don't care what that, because they used to, because I used to have a clothes rack that was in my office. I had suits, I had shirts, I had cufflinks, and I would be on the air daytime and nighttime. And they would go, you wouldn't change clothes. I said, oh, a brother can't wear the same thing in prime time he wore in daytime. So they, they were always trying to figure mm -hmm. out. I said, y'all, I'm going to do me. That's right. And I mm -hmm. understood the mm -hmm. audience, how to speak to the audience. And the reason that that thing I knew was a trip, 2008, the debates had already been scheduled. The first two debates, I had speeches. I wasn't, on, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't in studio. Yeah, I heard you say that. And yeah. we, we lost the first two debates, CBS. So the third debate, I had another speech. I get, mm -hmm. I'm flying from speech, mm -hmm. the pres president worldwide calls me. I get a voicemail. Hey, Roland, it's Jim. Buddy, nothing urgent, give me a call uh, when you can. Mm. When, when the worldwide CEO call you mm -hmm. and say nothing urgent, you know it's urgent. Yeah, you know it. That's so funny. I knew exactly what I saw. I called my agent, Mark Watts, and said, Mark, we probably gonna have to move that speech next week, I think. Uh, He's uh -huh. he telling me, we need you. And then, when I called him, he said, uh, we need you on set. Right. So I go on set, and they got, that's when they had them huge panels. So they had about 10 of us up there. Uh, it was, no, it was nine. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was eight panelists. It was, it was not, it was, yes, it was nine panelists. It was two anchors. They had eight seats. I was like, so I'm standing up. Like, well. And I was like, who could be the first black person to see me, who called me or sent me an email about me standing up? It was Spike Lee. Black man can't get a chair? <laughs> <laughs> so when the night was over, I was like, yo, what, what the hell was up with that? They said, oh, no, no, no. We, we, wanted, we wanted everybody to see that you were here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's what they told yeah. me. Yeah. That's <laughs> when, again, that's when you understand yeah. how you have, have an impact on people. And it's who you're communicating with. You have been doing that 
But serious is one thing, but talk about, again, being in D.C. and dealing and talking just regular, ordinary folk, the folk like your grandfather, and how they have a commitment to say, we're going to ride with you, Joe. We got your back no matter what happens. Well, I, I, I think you get to a certain point where they just can't deny you. you look, they know you're per- Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, What's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward, don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Professional. They, and, and I think there's the other issue, I, I'll say this, they know you'll walk out the door. I, I mean, I'll, I, I, I will walk out the door. Um, can I add something though, Let, not yeah, to get off ahead. that point. I, you were talking about Jackie Robinson. I think the piece you did was superb. Um, I, I wanted to remind everybody that this summer, Rachel Robinson is going to be 100 yep. years old. Indeed. And if you're going to talk about Jackie Robinson, you've got to talk about Rachel Robinson. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll say this. This may tick a lot of people off. I said it yesterday at a George Washington University. I have a Jackie Robinson project that they won't fund. The university won't fund it. They mm. have to raise their own money. <laughs> and and, and um, I said yesterday, you know, maybe if Will Smith had just stopped and paused for a moment and thought about Jackie Robinson, and what was said to Rachel in those stands. They called her everything but a child of God. And I said, and he had a bat in his hand. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And maybe he just should have thought about Jackie Robinson Mm. and what and what, what and and what was said about him and the woman he was married to until the day he he died. Now I know there's an argument about who should have slapped who or not slapped and that kind of thing. Um, and I personally also think that there ought to be curriculum in every college about Jackie Robinson's legacy because it was more than just baseball. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I mean, you read his book. I never had it made. He was a uh, business person. And, I mean, these professors, the professors know better. And was hard, than I and, and, and was hardcore, and challenged his own Republican Party. And and there's another issue too. I've I've been hit, hitting on Fort Hood. You know, you know, they, you know, you know. Court now, martial. first of all, well, he was court martialed. There is an effort and a petition to change the name of Fort Hood to the Jack, Jackie Robinson base. Really? Yes. Look it up. That and and by the way. So let's start with who was Hood. He was a Confederate general. He was a Confederate general who, by the way, quit the military. (laughs) So I want the audience out there to go look it up. And I think that's one of the next things that they, since they're talking about changing the names of these bases. And one of the hardest things to find is the TNT movie where Andre Breyer played Jackie Robinson. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was called The Court Martial of Jackie Robinson. It, it, I have been, you cannot find that anywhere. Yeah. I remember watching it 
Uh, and I, it may be still on VHS tape, but not even on DVD. I got some other questions. I'm gonna bring in the panelists oh. now, so they can oh, ask. Oh, now that, I'm really so can, now. So I'm, oh man, you, you, you didn't questions. tell. No, you didn't tell me. Now I gotta take. I gotta. Yeah, yeah, I gotta take an exam from yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, you do. So I, well, I, I ain't gonna go to the professor first. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I, we, we gonna we gonna ease into it. So uh, the cusser, the chief cusser oh, on Roller My Unfiltered who's also a contributor on Sirius XM, the Clay Kane show, uh, Reese Colbert. Reese, your question for Joe Madison. Uh, thank you for that wonderful introduction and dubbing me the <laughs> princess of cussing. Um, Joe Madison, it's such an honor to uh, be in company with you on this show. So thank you for blessing us with so many gems. Uh, a question that I have for you is, you know, now I feel like news in our society and our attention span moves so fast. Um, you have such a long career. And I'm just curious, does it, did it feel like that? in the other kind of historic and significant errors that we've been through, that things were moving fast and it was easily forgotten? Or does it feel a little bit different? Like we have to, you know, push harder to really, um, you know, uh, get people to, 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 to see the gravity and, 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 the, and the momentous um, part of what we are experiencing. Uh, and and I, I have to apologize. Putting into context, I didn't this, hear the first put, part. Putting into context this moment, this right. moment that we're in, right. all the different things that are going on. Uh, how does it compare to other uh, eras uh, that when you've been on? Oh, uh, nothing. Nothing has uh, really changed other than the characters, uh, and 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 also the means of communicating is 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 a lot faster. Uh, I think the reality is. Uh, war is war, uh, you know, inflation is inflation. Um, black folk have always uh, had to survive, as, as Roland and all of you were explaining the first part of the show. Um, the, the, you know, these, the, these, it's something, maybe the best way to put it, like putting it where the goats can get it, um, it it's, it's, it's Jim Crow's sophisticated cousin. I always refer to him as James Crow Esquire. Same, same attempts to maintain white supremacy, no ifs, ands, buts about it. It's just more sophisticated. Um, mm -hmm. um, and they've learned a few tricks, mm -hmm. um, but the reality is, is that it's, it's just sophisticated. And and we have to do more reading. We have to do more researching. And, and, and I also say this. It's, again, in the book, Radioactive, <clears throat> it's cultural conditioning. Now, what do I mean by cultural conditioning? And you've been, you've been saying this all morning, all evening long. America is culturally conditioned to believe that white is superior, black is inferior, and the manifestation of that cultural conditioning is that blacks are undervalued, underestimated, and marginalized. That's the, and some of us are culturally conditioned right. to believe, to undervalue, underestimate, yep. and marginalize ourselves. When you were talking about the monarchs, you can have both monarchs and blacks in, in Major League. I mean, uh, uh, but we have to recondition right. 
our culture. And culture is the See, for heart. For me, I, I say reprogram. Yeah, yeah but it's the same right, thing. Right. Yeah. And, and yes. culture is the hardest thing to change. Yeah. And on any, on any, on any, in any country, Culture is the most difficult thing but see, to change. But see, what you said about when you talked about, uh, if Will had stopped and thought about Jackie Robinson, mm -hmm. it's about being intentional. Just what I was saying, when I was picking shoes, I could have said, oh, I'm going to wear a white pair of shoes. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. I'm going to specifically wear those because they're black-owned company. That, that means stopping yourself, thinking it through, taking that moment, thinking it through, no, no. I'm wearing these for a reason. Mm -hmm. And I think what happens is, we, right, we, we, we have gotten, first of all, I tell people all the time, we have to really not appreciate, but understand how powerful white supremacy was mm -hmm. in terms of how it's so deeply ingrained into our psyche and white folks that, yeah, we can look at something, and I get it all the time where somebody's like, yeah, but we gonna get you a real show. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, what exactly. the hell is it? What, what you mean real? Oh, let me tell you and about they really, And they really yeah. mean white. Yeah, I, I, I have a chapter in the book where I talk about people always ask, how did you get the, 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 the handle Black Eagle? And when I first started using that handle, folks went crazy on the radio. I mean, these white people went nuts. Now, the, owner, the managers didn't, because they, what are they going to they gonna tell me? I can't say it. Um, <laughs> And, and, um, <laughs> and let me tell you how it came about. Uh, I was following Oliver North. We're in a meeting with a talk show consultant who was bragging about Oliver North. Oliver North had never done talk radio before. Oh, he's the Captain Kirk of this, good, good sh this enterprise ship. And I said, well, what are we? We're not oatmeal. I mean, what are we? And, uh, you know, he brushed me off. So I got, I left the meeting and got in the car with Dick Gregory. <laughs> and I said, you know what? I think I'm gonna start calling myself the Black Eagle. I'm, it's, I'm in Washington. Right. National bird is the eagle. And he, I said, but have you ever heard of a Black Eagle? He said, no, but I think tomorrow morning we're gonna be hearing about it. <laughs> but guess, guess what happened? I find, then it, God, it, it's fate. Uh, I'm looking at National Geographic, and they do a special on eagles. And the biggest, largest bird, eagle species, is a black eagle. <laughs> wow. And, none, and, you know, and then you would have folks call in, white folks call in and say, well, if you're the black eagle, I'm the uh, white pigeon. And I said, well, just remember, eagles eat pigeons. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I just think you, 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 you have to be original, you have to be right. authentic, and you have to be daring. Yep. That is, and you know who told me that was Aretha Franklin. Mm, the queen. Yeah, because when you hear Aretha Franklin, you, that's who you hear, and you know it. Yeah. And remember, she wasn't a big success when she first started out because she was doing other people's... She was doing covers. Covers. When she decided to be authentic, there you go. that's when she became uh, uh, a hit. That's, there you go. That's why, and I say this, and that's why I consider you a brother and a friend. You're authentic. And people need to understand that. You are authentic. And, and, the, and the folks just don't like it, just gotta get used to it. Whatever. Yeah. Whatever. Terrain. Terrain. Terrain Walker.
First of all, Joe, it's an honor and a privilege to be in this space with you, first of all. Uh, this is amazing. Um, my question to you is, well, there has always been a history with um, Black um, entertainers and Black reporters and Black radio people where they were the voices of, the, they were basically the voices of the community and they were able to interpret um, world events to the community. And my question to you is, um, do you feel like some of that legacy has been lost? How can we bring that back? How can we revitalize the idea of Black people like yourself, like Roland being the reals for the community and the interpreting Black communities to the world and the world of Black people? We all, we've always had, did, we've always had in, in, in these cities, in each one of these cities, you mm -hmm. had you had a black eagle. You had that that voice. Yes. I mean, it could have been a DJ, could have yes. been a talk show host, yes. could have been a columnist. Uh, and Durant there was, there it, was it, a congressman during Reconstruction period. He was known as the black uh, the black eagle. Yeah, go and ahead. And see, in many ways, I think what Durant is saying is we've lost that. And so how do we how do we bring that back where we have these these voices that, to your point, that are that, that are sacrificing for the collective, and and I'll, I'll add to what you said, Terrain, who are not all about getting them the check, but is really about representing the people in the community. I, in, in, you know, in, I, whether, I in, don't know how to answer that. I really honestly don't know. I think that's maybe one of the reasons I did the memoir, is what, what made you? What, what made you? Um, you know, my, my grandfather, working with my grandfather in the trash truck. What made you? Uh, was my, my uh, minister at St. Margaret's Church, who was a brilliant man. What made you? It was a, uh, a, a, a football coach who, by the way, my first football uh, experience, I got kicked off the team because I was active in, in large part in the black student movement. This is, and, and some of you may know this, and that is we were, just, we were trying to get black studies on mm -hmm. these campuses. Uh, you know, brothers are getting kicked off the football teams around, go read, read this, around the country because they wore afros or because there was a black student movement and ball players were looked up to. And if you walked around campus, maybe with a black band as part of the protest, uh, the coach would call you in and say, you take that black band or you lose your scholarship. And some folks wouldn't do it and they'd sacrifice their, their, their scholarship. I, that's the best way that I can, can answer it. Our, pers our perspective is, is what creates us. And, and, and our experience creates our perspective. And so I guess it was all the things I went through. And that's why it was a challenge writing this book, because I had to go back. And the editor kept saying, well, why did this happen? Why did that happen? And, uh, and, 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 and so it's based on your... My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Why are you the way you are? Why are the, these professors the way they are? 
And and what and makes you you? What makes yeah? I, I, what I, makes I, you I, you? The, the way I would answer what what Terrain asked yeah. is this way. I am who I am today because that was a black newspaper that I worked for. Mm, mm -hmm. John Ware was the former city manager of Dallas. He left to become this. He left to run a billion dollar investment firm fund for Tom Hicks, a big private equity guy. Later bought the Texas Rangers. When I was when I was at Tom Jonas BlackAmericaWeb.com, and I was I, I it was and, I, and then when I got fired from there, and I was sitting here trying to do some other stuff, right. and I would call John. I would call John, and this is what John always said. He said, "Roland, it doesn't matter. Just get a platform that you control." Mm -hmm. So. The way we do that terrain, we have to create yes. the platforms. Right. I, so when I launched this show, it was never going to only be me. Mm -hmm. The moment I launched, I said, I'm going to be the tent pole. I'm going to be the axis. And so the people who I bring on, then that's going to then create who stands out, create a show for them. So now, Faraji has a daily show. He, here was Faraji, a 25-year-old young brother from Baltimore coming on my TV One show, and I was like, all right, well, he got something, he got something, and then I created Faraji, we're gonna do this daily show. Mm -hmm. And so, bring him on, and then uh, Greg, oh, you know, Greg, I'm thinking about this here, and this is, but that wasn't even a Black Star Network. And even before Greg was doing what he's doing with Karen Hunter, we were talking about, okay, I'm a, we create this, but I got to build this first. Well, yeah. And then my wife's show, and then what Deborah Owens is doing, and then there are four or five other shows. Right. People been hitting me, Roland, uh, what a Reese show. I'm like, calm down, uh -huh. y'all. Like, <laughs> calm down. I got a plan. Everybody chill. But that's really it. If we don't build the ecosystem terrain, yeah. you, then you're not going to have the voices because there has to be a place where who owns it gives you the freedom to develop your voice, right. cultivate your voice, cultivate your rhythm, right. your tone, all those different things. That takes time, and you ain't gonna get it over there. It was Jonathan Rogers. I, everybody, this is no disrespect. It was not Kathy Hughes. It was not Alfred Liggins. It was Jonathan Rogers, who was the founding CEO of TV One, who said, I'm right. going to put you on, America needs to hear your voice, but we gotta get the network built first. Jonathan got Somebody. the job and called me. Yeah. He called Royal's wife first, called me. TV One wasn't even named, but he told me that, but I had to be patient. Same thing. That's, what, that's how I got developed. Same thing happened in, with the Sirius XM. Um, I was on WOL, Radio One, and satellite radio was created. Mm -hmm. They did not have uh, a a black talk nope. platform did not have one, and Nate Davis, brilliant, he mm -hmm. was president. Yeah, went and no one thought that satellite radio would take off. You remember that? Nate Davis, y'all black, and and yeah, yeah, and Nate Davis, brilliant, just as quiet, and and he said he said you know what, we need this channel. Because, you know, Sirius is like, I always look at it, it's like a bookstore. Yeah. 
And, and if you don't like what's on channel 26 or 126, go over. go over to another, you know, I think, I forget how many channels there are. So it's like if you don't like this, sec what, this book in this section, then go to another section. Yeah. And Nate Davis came to me and said, you know, we have got to have uh, a, this, a, a platform like, and initially it was the power. Right. Now, I, they know how I feel about that. It should have stayed the power. But, you know, some brother came on and said, well, I don't, I don't person. like news and, you know, and, and the power sounds so 60-ish. And I'm blowing them out, but that's okay. And say, let's change it to urban, uh, urban view. First of all, I hate, I, hate, I hate when they slap urban on anything. I'm like, just say black shit. Stop, don't, don't. Yeah. I, I hate, I hate, oh, dude, I can't. But, oh, I but, can't, but wait a I minute. can't stand when they throw urban but, in or soul. But wait a minute, you got, you got, you got, uh, you got the Patriots channel. Right. So that's the right wingers. You've got, uh, 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 what is it, Progress. Right. And that's the, the liberal channel. The, basically, the liberal. Yeah, the POTUS channel. You, uh, uh, politics of the United Nations. Now, why can't you, and I've argued this, why can't you have uh, the, 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 the black channel with the, all these brilliant minds you have and call it the power? And, and, and so what I've been told is, you know, it is what it is now. You guys are really popular. So don't change it. And I'm saying, okay, I'm still going to cuss. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm teasing. Dr. Greg Carr. Oh, I'm, 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 I'm really intimidated now. Oh, no. God. It's the, it's the opposite, Baba. I tell you, man, I could just sit here and listen to you all, all night. I want to add my honor and respect to giving to you, uh, like Reese and Terrain said, every time that I've been around you and seen you. It's just an honor, brother, sometimes to shake your hand and stand there and listen. Um, I remember the first time I saw your studio in Sirius XM in DC. I went down to, uh, to do Wilma Leon's show on the weekend. We walked by, I said, that's where the Black Eagle sits. <laughs> and I'll never forget that. But you know, I, I guess my question is very broad and it kind of echoes what Reese was asking, uh, Brother Madison. And I, and I know my old classmate, Dave Canton, probably gave you hell because he, like me, is an academic and kind of put words in your mouth and you had to get him straight. But he says in the beginning of your book there, Radioactive, he says, you know, you always remind us to listen with our third ear. Right. And, and so looking forward, and you and Roland are really talking about this, but I wonder what you see with your third eye, what you hear with your third ear about the future of media generally. I don't know if radio will ever be displaced. I mean, we grew up, we all grew up on radio. Hearing your voice got us through many a challenge in our community. But I wonder, as you're looking forward uh, with uh, legacy media seemingly coming apart at the seams, you know, what do you see in terms of breaking through all the noise and really capturing the, the imagination of our people, particularly as it relates to information? And thank you for your continuing work, Bob. With this, this, whole, this whole piece about listening with the third ear and reading with the third eye. That came from a, a older politician. I remember the ride from Detroit to Lansing. He was a state senator. And he said, look, young man, I was just brand new running the NACP. And he said, the best of, of uh, what's his name, Will Rogers. 
Will Rogers? He said, yes, there's a book out, read the best of Will Rogers. Now, who is Will Rogers? Will Rogers was like the Johnny Carson of his, of his day on radio. Uh, you know, he, he was the one that would say, you know, poly, uh, Congress is the second oldest profession. I mean, and people would listen to him. Oh, the homespun. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, but political humor. Yeah. He, he, he was, uh, uh, now, the other thing he said was listen with a third ear and read with a third eye. See, and so the, to answer your question, too often, and we take what we see and not realize what's really being done in the, in the background. That's that third eye that you, that you see. What is that news story? What's really behind that news story? So again, what, again, yeah, radio will always be around. I think it was a point in time where I, I, I think we used to say whenever uh, there would, people would take over a country, there would be a revolution. The first thing they take over is the radio station. Yeah, yeah. After the military, I mean, the media. They, yeah, they take over the radio station, and we see that. Radio work. station, newspapers. And so, so here's where I think it's going, and that is everybody now is a potential communicator. Yep. Right with this. Everybody now is a, so, and we're seeing it. Yep. Like the story out of, uh, out of Michigan, yep. this, uh, the, where that- Grand Rapids. Grand Rapids. The, and, you know, think this, this guy, the passenger, became a reporter. There you go. He pulled, he pulled that, that young girl in, that's, in Minnesota. That's, that's, why, that's why I give lessons on the air saying, uh, shoot horizontal, please, so it fills the whole screen up. Yeah. Don't shoot vertical, yeah, we get okay. the black bars. I tell everybody, yeah. shoot video, shoot like this. Now, the other <laughs> thing is, yep. is that and, and I know folks like to criticize the younger generation. But I tell you, you know, I did my, my hunger strike. And folks thought I was crazy. Mm. But I, 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 I knew what I was doing because Dick Gregory and I used to, and he taught me how to do it. And he taught me why you do it. You do it to get attention. Right. You get it to shake, to get the, the people. Now, we didn't get the legislation because we had two Democratic senators that just were traitors to, to our, our cause. But you know what we did? We woke up a younger generation. They now know what a filibuster rule is. They now know how Congress works. Young folk went on hunger strikes mm -hmm. that, that, you know, you, they wouldn't, you couldn't get them to pass a, a, a fast food place. Uh, they realized we have to make sacrifices. We woke up a generation. And, and, and doctor, I will say this to you, and I, was, and I say this with all due respect. Quit talking about passing the torch. Now, I'll tell you why. I'm not going to pass my torch. I'm going to hold on to my torch. I'll light your torch. Right. So because, right. Be, because if I pass my torch on to you, I'm in the dark. Mm. <laughs> right. I'm in the dark. See, I, see, I, 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 use, the, I, I use the relay example. You know, right, say, thank you. You're in the relay. This is what I explain to people. But you got to keep, keep running. Though. Right. First, okay. of all, first of all, right. You're running at the same time they're running. Right. When you st stick it out, they have, they have to reach back. And there's a point when both of you are holding the baton at the very same That's time, right. yeah. and then you got to let that baton and, go. And, and that generation has to run faster than we did. There you go.
So the thing, so the th what, so what I what, what I tell folks, I, I've always hated that phrase too. Even when I was 20, 30, I hated that phrase because what it said to a lot of people is, oh, I, 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 I'm, I'm just going to sit here and do nothing. Uh, I, I wish y'all all people get out of the way. I had, I, and I, I, we were on, I'll never forget, it was after Trayvon Martin, after the Zimmerman decision, he's found not guilty. And folks were just, they, they were shocked. I, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget the night. It was a Saturday night. Deltas had their, their national convention here. I was actually at their step show, and the thing that just circulated. And about 3 o'clock in the morning, probably about 800 people from around the world who were on the phone. The next night, it was like 2,000 people who were on the phone. People just wanted to talk. It was interesting. They, they had no place to, they, they were like, they wanted to go to some place to convene. Mm -hmm. It basically turned to a talk, talk show. Mm -hmm. But what was a trip is that, so a group of black folks, folks 20, 30, 40s, uh, started convening. It was very interesting, and so we were, we were on these calls. And, and one of the things, Joe, about really smart people, they, really smart people don't sometimes know how to slow down. So they're sitting here, and they was like, we call for, do this, and do that, and this, and this, and the website, it was going on and on. And so Jeff Johnson and I, we chilling. Jeff goes, folks, I'm just curious. Who are we targeting? Who do we say we're speaking for? So Jeff and I, we started communicating on this deal. So that was this young lady uh, who hit Jeff, and he, she, she was like, oh, you know, I, I'm just, I, I I'm tired of these old heads like rolling my, why is he on the call? Mm. And Jeff said, he said, let me ask you a question. You think he arrogant? He was like, and? He said, but who else on the call has a national platform? Yeah, exactly. He said, he the only yeah. one. And then he said, who else on this call if we needed somebody to kick off what we were doing and put $10,000 on the table, who could do it and not blink? Yeah. He's, uh, he said him. He said, why in the hell would you not want that person at the table? Yeah. That's part of that whole thing yeah. with this folk fighting and who I don't want in the room. I'm like, hey, if you got something to contribute, gotcha. we all can be. We all can... Everybody can do something. Everybody. Look, Rosa Parks lit my torch. Uh, in the book, we talk about, her, we boycott, let me tell you, we boycotted the city of Dearborn. Uh, and because an issue with a park. Uh, Dearborn is not the Dearborn you know now. Right. It was a, 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 a sundown town, and a dusted sundown. And the black population was less than 1%. Some black folk, here's Dearborn, here's Detroit. You cross the street, you're in Dearborn. Some folks went over and got into a, went to a park shelter. People came in and said, well, you can't, these are, this is Dearborn Park. You can't have this, it was a public park. You can't use this shelter. And lo and behold, uh, we're reading, the, again, the newspaper. A good friend of mine, uh, we, he worked at John Conyers' office. Rosa Parks worked there. And he said, we got to do something about this. This is a public park. So we got together and said, okay, fine. We'll boycott the city of Dearborn. So, you know, uh, uh, they had a huge regional mall. Folks, black folks were spending their money. We did. And Rosa Parks said, I'll join you. Oh, okay. And so we decided, uh, we took a, a, a lesson from, from uh, uh, Randall Robinson and the boycott, uh, the, the boycott of the South African embassy. Mm -hmm. We did it the day before Thanksgiving. Why? 
media. Why? You know why. Because Thanksgiving Day was going to be a slow news day. Mm -hmm. So Rosa Parks and Joe Madison gets arrested in Dearborn, calls for a boycott. 70%, it was instantaneous. It was spontaneous. People stopped shopping the next, that, what they call now Black Friday. Right. They stopped. Let me tell you who gave me more hell than anybody in Dearborn. The older black leadership. You did not get my permission to call a boycott. I was, because Henry Ford called all of the black leaders. Now, Coleman Young was mayor, and, and there were some powerful black folk. I'm just a young 20-something NACP executive. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I wasn't even with, yeah, I was on the, the political uh, department at the time. Yeah, because I was uh, uh, with uh, Ben Hooks. They called me into a meeting. This was a Saturday morning. They have eggs, bourbon, and, and you know, that, that one of those meetings, like a kitchen cabinet. And there were some powerful folk. There was a federal judge. There was a mayor. There was a labor leader. Man, these were, these were, some, these were older brothers. Right. And they said, you know, you remind me of myself when I was your age. But young man... This is Coleman Young. You got to, you know, you, you didn't get my permission to call this boycott, and you got Henry Ford pissed off at me, and da-da-da-da-da-da. And I said, Mary Young, with all due respect, I didn't think I needed your permission to call a boycott, and I have it in the book. He looked me in the eye and said, boy, you need my permission to fart in this city. But you know what? You can't stop it. Right. It's already happened. Too late. It's too late. You got to call it off. And they tried to pressure us to call it off. Mm -hmm. It was too late. And the lesson I learned was boycotts are successful one of two ways. And Ben Hooks taught me this. They're either spontaneous or they're well-planned. There you go. And he told this group of folks who wanted me out of the city, um, we know it wasn't well planned because y'all didn't help him. And he pulled me out of one of these meetings and said, no, he's not, because they, they said, get him out of town. And he said, he's not going anywhere. Come mm. on. He stood me up and said, come on, we're leaving. This yes. is, and, and by the way, this is what young people need to understand. It's never been kumbaya. Never. It, we've always, you know, Dr. King wouldn't go on the freedom ride, uh, the bus rides, on mm -hmm. the freedom rides, because he thought it was dangerous. Kennedy said, talk him out of it, right. talk John Lewis out of it. And they say we're still going. Yeah, and, and that's why all of this is in the book, and that's why it's radioactive. And I got that, I got to give credit to Ron Daniels. Our brother Ron Daniels, he said, you know, you you just radioactive. <laughs> and I always, I always remember that from the good professor. We're going to go seven more minutes. I know we're over. We're going to only go seven more minutes. See, when you have, have your own show, you can do that. I, that's true. That's true. But I'm also, but, and also, uh, you paying off. I got to pay overtime. Oh, so oh, I'm going to okay. do this. So the panel, you can have another question. But I'm going to ask a couple first. First, who black gave you the most difficulty interviewing them? Well, they were like just getting on your damn nerves, and you had to just like, where it got contentious, it got hot. Nobody. 
Who, so was there no, anybody? Any, no. was, have you, did you have any interview where it, mm -hmm. where it where it, it it was it was a battle? It was it was a. Now, you know, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that, but I can't I can't think of anybody like you said who was black. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council.